Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Sis Internet Radio. Sisters in Spirit, affectionately called Sis, is a nurturing environment for women that inspires harmony in everyday living, shares resources that empower, offers information and support that nourishes the soul, balances our mental and physical well-being, and promotes inner peace and heightened spirituality. Our vision is a world where women live consciously, harmoniously, and spiritually to positively impact our lives and the lives of those with whom we come into contact. Join us as we live life with style, grace, and of course, much joy. Good evening all and welcome to Sis Internet Radio. Today our topic is taking your relationship from good to great. I'm Raisa. I'm your co-host today, and I'm here with Sky. Hi, Ray. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you this evening? I am doing great here in Hotlanta on a bright and sunny and very hot day. <laughs> We've got with us Dr. Terry Orba, who is a professor of sociology. She's known as the love doctor, and she's currently the project director of the landmark NIH-funded Early Years of Marriage Project. It's the longest-running study of married couples ever conducted, and it's been going on since 1986. She's a practicing marriage and relationship therapist for over 20 years, and she's also a popular love advisor on Radio, TV, and PeopleMedia.com. She's also been recently seen on NBC's Today Show. Dr. Orbach is a research professor at the Institute for Social Research at the University of Michigan and a professor at Oakland University. Her new book is Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great. She's with us here tonight. Hello, Dr. Terry. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Welcome, Dr. Terry. We're excited to have you with us this evening. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here as well. So we can just jump right into the discussion. Um, But first, I I wanted to talk to you about what it is that drew you to this profession, as we often talk to our listeners and members of SIS about encouraging them to find their bliss, you know, follow that bliss down the path that takes you towards wealth, prosperity, in whatever form that that is for you, and ultimately can lead to uh, a prosperous job. And so the question is, what took you down that path? Was it something you'd always wanted to do, or is it something that you kind of found just wandering down the various roads of life? Well, it's a really good question, Risa. I have always been interested in relationships. I think relationships are fascinating and interesting, and they're so important to your well-being, both physically and psychologically and emotionally. And I've just sort of wandered through many different paths of what to do with that passion regarding relationships. I was a marriage and family therapist. I still am. I'm a professor, and I teach courses to undergraduate students on relationships and sexuality and psychology. But it wasn't, and I've been doing research as well, always, on relationships 
scientific research, which we'll get into, which is the basis of my book. But about six or seven years ago, I realized that there was so much great relationship research out there, but that no one was reading it outside of academia. So I decided to become the love doctor and decided to take all of that great information, that great research that nobody was reading, and translate it into a fashion or a format that real people could use in their real lives. So I became the love doctor, and I take the research, and I talk about it. And then my book, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great, was based on my long-term research study, which takes all of this good research that can be boring in the journal articles and, again, translates it into a fashion that everyone can read, understand, and enjoy. And I love the book, and I love being the love doctor. <laughs> Is that a lot of pressure on you? You're the love doctor, and that means that your relationships, or do you even feel like that means your relationships have to be up to a certain standard? Is there some but, pressure there around that for you? I don't feel the pressure at all, but I get that question a lot. My students, my clients, and the people I meet ask me that same question. So your relationships must be perfect. And my response to that always is they're not. I wish they were, <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> because all relationships have problems and all relationships go through ebbs and flows where they're great and then where there are issues that need to be dealt with. So I'm just like everyone else and I need to address and take care of my relationships and attend to those issues daily and regularly just like you and just like everyone else. Okay. So tell us about your book and the five steps. Well, my book is based on my long-term study on marriage and divorce. It's funded by the National Institutes of Health, and I've been following the same 373 couples for over 24 years now. And what we did was we interviewed spouses separately, and then we interviewed them together as a couple. And what I found is that there's his marriage and there's her marriage and then there's a marriage when they come together as well. (laughs) I also follow the spouses who get divorced over time as well. 46% of the couples divorced over the last 24 years. It turns out that that is the national divorce rate, so it's very similar to what the divorce rate is nationally in the United States, which is 45%. All of my couples got married in 1986, and I got the sample from those couples who filed for marriage licenses in a four-month period in 1986. And when I look at the couples, they look very comparable to couples getting married in 1986. And I checked couples um, in census data, and then another national data set. And that's how I found out that these couples are very comparable. And what they're experiencing is just like what couples experience over time. Hmm. So any difference you would think between a couple that got together in 1986 versus one that got together in 1996? 
as far as how question. you would apply these five steps? I do not think the steps are any different. And I can go over those five simple steps. I don't, what I do think is different is the economic times and the importance of uh, financial difficulties, the, the importance of working outside the home, and some of the strain and stress that I think people are experiencing now in the last several years. But the steps are still the same. One of the things that I want to mention that I found that's so very important that's not part of the five steps is that what I found for, that was so important for couples to take their marriage from good to great was to focus on the positive elements in their relationships. What we know in psychology is that when things are going wrong, people tend to focus and concentrate on the problems, what's not going well and the negatives. A lot of self-help books out there and a lot of therapists also focus on trying to fix the problems. But what I found in my long-term study was exactly the opposite. For those couples who are happy, for those couples who took their marriage from good to really great, they focus on what's already going well. They focus on strengthening the positives. And I think that's an important thing to mention because when I talk to these spouses who are really happy in their marriage after 24 years, they don't talk about the negatives. They talk about the positives. And I think that's a really important thing to mention as people are thinking about their own relationships to really switch the approach, switch what they're focusing on to positive, to what's already going well. And so before you know, I talk about such steps, I wanted to say that. Yeah, one of, that's one of the things that's mentioned in the law of attraction. Your attention must be on what you want, not the lack of it or not what you don't want. And so in putting that attention there, that grows. So what you pay attention to is enhanced. Absolutely. So when you, you know, focus and put your attention on the positive that motivates you, that is what then occurs in the future. Absolutely, right. I agree. By the way, the other really important thing that I found that's not part of the five steps is that happy couples sweat the small stuff. And this is probably opposite to what we've been taught and what we hear in the media. And what I found is that it wasn't the big obstacles that couples were experiencing outside of their relationship that ate away at happiness and led to divorce. And, and examples might be financial difficulties, the health of a parent, or the loss of a job. Instead, what I found is that when couples experience those outside big challenges, they come together, they lean on one another, and they support one another, and actually those couples got stronger over time. Instead, it's the couples who didn't address the small little things that seemed insignificant at the beginning, mm -hmm. but over time they became big issues. They accumulate and they became big trenches. That's what ate away at the happiness and led to divorce over time. That's very interesting. So those little things snowball. You cannot ignore them. You cannot ignore them. So what starts out as, 
you know, he didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher, he doesn't pick up his clothes. If you don't address them at the beginning, what happens then is that they become bigger. All of a sudden you begin to think, he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't pay attention to me. He is disrespectful. And it gets so big that the seemingly small thing at the beginning becomes so big that you don't know how to address it and you don't know how to deal with that big, huge issue. So what I encourage people to do is really sweat those small things. Address them. Be nice, be respectful, but address them. And then they don't accumulate over time. So there's there's also a fine line between what a man considers addressing the small things and nagging. <laughs> how, how would you suggest <laughs> approaching it delicately and... Um, yeah, so that it's not an issue, it's just a comment versus an issue. Very good question. First of all, because I think everything can be said in multiple ways. So how you say it and when you say it is very important. Let's start with the when. I think it's very important to recognize that the situation that you bring something up is so very important to how your partner or a man, in this case, hears what you're saying. So if you bring something up when he comes in the door, when he's tired, or when he's hungry, and that's true of everybody, men and women, we hear what is brought up very differently. Also, the big no-no is to bring something up in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Most couples, most women, bring things up in the bedroom at night. And that's the worst time and the worst place. I call that a love doctor no-no. So what you want to try to do, especially with men, is give them a heads up. Email them, text them, Leave them a voicemail that you'd like to discuss something or you'd like to talk to them when it's convenient. This, I have found, especially for the husbands in my study, gives them a heads up. It doesn't surprise them. It gives them time to think about what is going to occur. I even encourage some spouses to start a conversation over email that allows you to think and process very differently. And it allows you to let go of the anger before you really resolve the issue. Now, you can't resolve issues and problems over email, but you can start them. Next, the process in which you bring it up is very important. Use your I statements, not your you statements. Men hate your messy, your late, you were mean to my mother at the holiday party. So use your I statements. Make it your concern and your issue. And then be sure you don't tell men that they need to fix the problem immediately. So all of those are ways to help men hear what you're saying in a positive light. Okay. Okay. Sky, any input? Well, I I find it um, from experience, a a lot of the things that you're saying um, I can really relate to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And one question that comes to mind is, 
In the context of dealing with relationship, and this is going to sidebar just a little, but we can get back to the discussion, but in the concept of dealing with relationships and your research and your study, did you find relationships between a man and a woman the most uh, pressing uh, relationships that need the most attention or generally relationships? Uh, How did you come to um, identifying the relationship between men and women as um, a, a source or a subject for your book? Well, my study was based on married couples, all couples who got married at a particular time. And so the study really is focusing on married couples and what keeps them together, what breaks them apart, and if married couples stay together, what makes them happy. From my other research, as well as my clinical practice and my experience as a relationship expert, I think that these five steps to take your marriage from good to great are true of any romantic relationship, whether they be married, whether they be non-married, or whether they be a female-female relationship, romantic relationship, or a male-male romantic relationship. These steps are true of all relationships at all stages Mm -hmm. of those romantic relationships. And some of the steps are even important to non-romantic relationships. Many of the steps that we'll talk about are really applicable to your friendships, to your parent-child relationships, and even to your relationships in the workplace. For example, one of the things that I find is so very important and was a step in the book is what I call affective affirmation. Affective affirmation is the degree to which you make your partner feel special, valued, and cared for. And what I found is that when partners think that the other partner makes them feel special and affirms them, they are significantly happier in that relationship and they are significantly less likely to break up or get divorced in the case of a marital relationship in that relationship. So it's so very important that we affirm our partner, and we can do that in two ways. We can use our words. We can tell someone, I love you, you're special, you're wonderful. Or we can use our actions. We can do simple behaviors or acts. We can give them a kiss. We can hug them. We can send them a greeting card. And this is true of our friend as well. Send her a greeting card in the mail telling her how special and how valuable she is to us in our lives. And again, if we affirm our partner, we affirm our friend, they are happier and they are more likely to stay in that relationship. that, That makes a lot of sense. I will tell you that one of the things I did find, at least in my long-term study, is that men crave affective affirmation more than women. More than women. I can understand that, too. And you get them to do what you would like them to do a lot more easily. What's the saying? It's easier to catch. Oh, God, I forgot. (laughs) It's easier to catch a bee with honey than with salt, whatever, something sweet, (laughs) something sour. I know Absolutely. I'm, so if you say something nice, you're much more likely to get them to do what you want them <laughs> to do is what you're saying. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, especially in a romantic relationship between a man and a woman, 
we as women are fortunate. We get affective affirmation from a lot of other people in our lives, not only our male partner or husband. We get it from our best friends. We get it from our kids, our mothers, our sisters. And we even get it from, you know, the person in the coffee shop when we get a cup of coffee or get a newspaper who says, I love your haircut or your shoes are great. Where did you buy your shoes? Those are all forms of affective affirmation. But men do not get affective affirmation validation, special words of praise from other people in their lives. Rarely do we hear men going out with one another and talking about how their clothes look great or, boy, you know, that thing you <laughs> said at work too. the other day was fantastic. That's, that's true. That's true. While we're on this topic and this kind of subject line, um, I want to take an opportunity to go to the blog because one of these questions kind of relates to what we're talking about now. And um, I'll read the blog question. And um, it says, it's, it's making sort of a reference to um, one of the other questions. And it says, I'm a good person, very giving. However, most of the people that come into or are in my life are not as giving as I am. I have few very close friends and family that I feel appre appreciate the person I am. Most do not even close family. Should I be concerned about that as long as I am being the best person I can be? Sometimes it's difficult when I'm putting out my best to others who do not offer me their best in return. Thank you. Very good question. First, I don't think there's anything wrong with a few really good friends and a few really good people in your life. I think if you asked most people, how many people do you really trust and really feel a strong bond to in your life? Most people would say just a handful. So I don't think that she is alone. The other thing I want to say is that oftentimes, and this is the first step actually in my book, is that what we really need to do is make sure that we have realistic expectations of others. Oftentimes, we expect too much of others. And if we can just set our expectations, what I call lower, but in reality it's realistic, if we can set realistic expectations, we become less frustrated in our lives. And one of the things I found is that frustration is the main reason why people become unhappy in their relationships and in their lives. And frustration is the difference between what we expect and the realities or the actual things that happen in our relationships. So the larger the gap between our expectations and reality, the more frustration we feel, and then the more unhappiness and the un more unhappy we are as individuals. So I think setting realistic expectations of what people can do and how much they can give you is what people need to understand is so very important to happiness. So that if I say my friend is extremely busy in her life, she has kids, she has a partner, she works many hours in each day. Even though I call her, even though I give her so much, even though I send her little greeting cards in the mail telling her how special she is to me, 
if I understand that she doesn't have the time to return those acts, to return those affirmations, then I don't get as frustrated. So expect less and you will get more. So that was your first principle. Expect less, get more from your partner. Absolutely. And that's what I found in my long study, long-term study on marriage as well, is if you can have realistic expectations and if you can have realistic expectations of your partner and of relationships over time, you're going to be less frustrated and you will be happier over time. One of the things I encourage couples to do is to sit down with one another, write down their top two relationship expectations on a piece of paper, and ask your partner to do the same, and then switch the papers and discuss. Are your expectations reasonable? How can you make your expectations more reasonable and more realistic? And then it's important to understand what your partner expects out of the relationship and you, because then if you know your partner's expectations, you can meet them or at least try to meet them. And one of the things I do in the book is give the top 16 relationship expectations that couples had for their partner. And so you can use these 16 to start this exercise with your partner. Okay. You're listening to CIS Internet Radio, and we're here today with Dr. Terry Orbach, the love doctor, if you're if you are online listening, please feel free to join the chat room. And if you are on the phone, please raise your hand and that's pressing the number 1 on your phone and we'll know that you're ready to ask a question. Shall I read another um blog question while we're sure. in here? Mhm. Okay, the next person asked, well, comments. I keep drawing married and otherwise unavailable men. emotionally unavailable to me. I know that I'm sending out the message that attracts them, so how do I change this message? I really am ready for a mutually loving relationship. Exclamation mark. (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Well, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, are you really ready for a mutually loving relationship? And I think that means that you have to ask yourself, are you ready to trust another person? And oftentimes when we're not ready to trust someone with our intimate lives, with our intimate feelings, and with our intimate thoughts, we give off the vibe, we put up walls, and we attract people who aren't available because we're not ready to trust another person. So what I encourage this person to do, this woman to do, is to first write down what you like about yourself. Oftentimes, when we're not ready to trust another person, it's because we're not loving and trusting of ourselves. So again, focus on the positive. Write down 10 positive things that you like about yourself. Keep the piece of paper close to you, and when you're not feeling positive or when you don't think that you are confident and showing that confidence when you're out in the public, take out the list and read it. 
focus on those positive things. Because when you're loving yourself, when you're confident, and when you're feeling positive about yourself, you are much more likely to be trusting or to be wanting to trust others. Second, I think most people who attract unavailable men don't know what they're really looking for in a partner. So the second thing I think you want to do is write down, and I know I talk numbers about lists, but it tends to go 10 to 15. So in this instance, you want to write down 15 specific qualities that you want in a partner. And these qualities have to be very specific. So it can be height, it can be religion, it can be um, what they like to do, it can be kind of sense of humor, it can be that they like to cook, very specific qualities. 15, no more, no less. Some people say, I can't think of 15, so you need to think of 15. And some people think I can think of a book of qualities that I want in a partner. Once you come up with your 15, share it with a friend or a family member and get their responses. Revise the list according to your friends' comments, because oftentimes our friends know us very well. So a friend might say, you don't want that in a partner. You want this. So revise the list and then also keep this list close to you. Because if you don't know what you want in a partner, you're not going to be able to know the person when you meet him or when you run into him. Yeah, and that goes back to what we said in our blog. People say they want to be in a healthy and happy relationship, but often their actions speak louder than their words, and so it's contradictory. And so you can't attract to you what you say you want if your vibration is offering the universe something else. Absolutely true. And sometimes, well, first I should say that we all bring our past baggage to a relationship. So we all have issues that we bring with us into a new relationship. And those issues can come from our childhood or a previous relationship, from our parents. But what you want to try to do in order to be ready for a mutually loving relationship is unpack those bags as much as you can. So just like going on a plane, they won't let you on with a carry-on that's too heavy. You can't be ready for a mutually loving relationship if your baggage from the past is too heavy. Right, good point. And I think that takes us to the third comment that's in the blog where um, the woman says, often we intuit things about a partner or a potential partner and then rationalize it away. Sometimes it turns out right and other times not. It's so hard to tell if I get what I expect based on the baggage I'm carrying or I'm truly or I truly intuited a warning. How do you suggest one deals with those mental alerts, whether they're real or perceived? Well first of all, I always encourage people to listen to their gut level feelings. So that if you're feeling like you're picking up some signals or those mental alerts as she said, listen to them. Don't just ignore them. But take those mental alerts, take those signals, and go talk to a friend. I think females have the wonderful experience of having good female friends. And our friends are there to help us. And, and friendships between women are great. 
They're based on talking, they're based on sharing, and they're based on help. And the more we talk, the closer we feel to our friends. So once you take those gut level feelings or those mental alerts and you look at them and you analyze them, go share them with a friend. See what she thinks or even he thinks about what you're feeling or about what you're thinking. Second thing I encourage people to do is to look for consistency. Oftentimes what we think is one strange behavior of a partner or one strange or weird or different phrase that a partner may say never occurs again. If it's a big red flag, if it's a big red mental alert, there's some consistency in the behaviors. There's some consistency in the words or the phrases. So if you continue to see the same behaviors in your partner, if you continue to hear the same words coming from your partner, then it's a bigger red alert, a bigger red flag for you to think, process, and take to a friend. Okay. Well, that makes sense. If you see it happening more often, then it's a pattern versus a, an instance. Right. Exactly. And if we're talking about jealousy and and wondering whether or not our partner is betraying us in some way, that's the same kind of situation. What you want to do is look for consistency in our partner's behaviors, consistency in our partner's words and phrases. turns out there are two kinds of jealousy where we worry about our partner straying or having an affair or betraying us. Suspicious jealousy is where it's all within us. We're not secure with ourselves, and our thoughts or suspicions don't match our partner's behaviors. Our partner does something once and doesn't do it again, and we think that our partner is doing something that he or she is not doing. The more confident we are with ourselves as an individual, the more secure we feel with ourselves, the less suspicious jealousy. Reactive jealousy is the second kind of jealousy. And that's where the behaviors are real. There's a real danger of losing our relationship because our partner is having an affair. Our partner is betraying us in some way. And most of us, feel reactive jealousy, those mental alerts. We don't want to lose the relationship when our partner is doing something and we might really lose the relationship at hand. That, In that case, then, two partners need to figure out what's going on. And you cannot resolve the issue as an individual. Mm. Dr. Terry, could you please tell us a little bit more about what you've got going on, if there are any upcoming events, and provide us with your contact information. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Well, first of all, my book, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great, is available in all bookstores. It's also available online for online bookstores. Um, You can learn more information about my book and about a lot of the events and blogs that I write for on my website. My website is Dr. Terry, 
thelovedoctor.com. D-R-T-E-R-R-I, thelovedoctor.com. I am also a relationship expert for an online dating site called People Media. People Media owns 27 online dating sites. They're targeted online dating sites. So they're senior people meet, black people meet, single parent people meet, Christian people meet. So if you're looking for a specific quality in a partner, these targeted online dating sites are wonderful. You can learn more about these targeted online dating sites on my website as well as peoplemedia.com. So those are many different ways that people can learn more information about me and what's going on and where I write blogs and where I will appear across the United States. So it sounds like from your point of view, social networking is definitely a plus in relationship building. Yes, I actually think it is. Specifically, you mean online dating sites? Yes. Absolutely. There are three, we know studies show that there are three great ways to meet that someone special. One, and the first, and in no significant order, but number one is what I call a regular activity. And that is an activity that meets consistently every week or every other week a group of people. So it could be a bowling team, it could be a book club, it could be a religious group. When you attend those activities that meet regularly, you go to that group, it's an interest that you have, and you're going to meet people of similar minds and behaviors. And because you see the person regularly, mere contact increases liking. It's called the mere exposure effect in psychology. Called the what? I'm sorry, I missed that. Called the mere, M-E-R-E, exposure exposure effect, that just mere contact with someone regularly increases liking. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great way to meet that someone special or meet a good friend or meet a potential partner. Second would be blind dates. They turn out to be very successful. And the third great way is online dating. We know studies show that online dating is easy successful and safe, and you have much more control in the process of online dating than people think. Because when you think about it, you can interact with people online at any time of the day. You can stay home. If you're shy or introverted, you can type out a message and you can look at the message and edit it before you actually click. You can also take your time and be slow in the process of meeting and talking with someone. Also, if you're really busy, meaning you work a lot, you have children, you can do this when you want to do it. And you can talk to many people at once. So I'm a huge advocate of online dating as a very successful and safe and easy way to meet that someone special. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, it looks like we have a caller on the line. Are we ready to take a, a call? We do have um, extended time now. So do we have, um, are we ready to take a caller? 
Sure. Let's take the caller number two, whose <clears throat> number ends in 5386. Oh, hi. Good evening. Yeah. It's good to uh, hear everybody. I have a quick question. I wanted to, I heard to elaborate a little bit on uh, when she said Internet dating was safe. Uh, how is that? Now, not, I'm not doubting it. I just, I'm um, a little curious because I know a lot of people say that, you know, it's not safe, that you, you know, people, you know, get hurt. So what, 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 uh, can you just say, do the sites, what precaution do they put in place to make it safe? Thank Good you. Good question. I think, particular sites or any online dating site has different ways to make it safe. But I think the best thing is for you to take what I call my safety tips. For example, don't ever use your last name in a conversation online. Don't share any personal information with people. So if you do share your interests, your age perhaps, of what you like to do, but nothing about where you live, your address. If you do end up giving a phone number, give a cell phone number rather than a work phone number or a home phone number. That way if you have to change it, you can always change a cell phone rather than a work or home phone number. Never give money. Never give checking account numbers out to anyone online, and you don't want to do that ever until you really get to know someone. I say that you want to chat with somebody online for at least a week. After that, you go to phone and you talk with someone another week because you're able to get more information from someone on the phone, and only after online a week, phone a week, do you then meet someone face-to-face. You want to meet that person in a neutral, safe, busy spot. You want to meet them there. Don't have them pick you up or take you home. Make that first face-to-face meeting very short. I say two hours, so it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you really like the person, make another date. And give a friend all the information about this person, where you're going to meet them, and for how long you'll be at that space or that spot. I even encourage people to have the friend call them on the first date. That way, if you don't feel good about something, listen to your gut and have your friend come and pick you up. So if you take control yourself, remember Uh that not everyone else may be doing that, but if you take control and are safe and take some of those safety tips, I think online dating or Internet dating is safe and successful. Another point to um, to add to that is um, during my experience as um, a manager of an online forum, I ran into a number of people who had experienced um, meeting each other um, via the Internet. And back in the beginning of those days in 98 and early uh, 2000s, they really didn't have the online services that they have now, but people were still meeting through other means, just meeting people on the web. Some people even had girlfriends or family member come to the location that they were meeting that person. And, you know, especially if it was in a restaurant or something like that, their friends would be there in the restaurant at another table 
you know, during um, their date with this person they met online. Um, at, at that time, I met, I ran into a lot of people. Some people had good experiences. Some had bad experiences. But with the uh, introduction of these online dating sites or these online compatibility sites, it makes it a little bit safer because you're able to learn a lot more about the person. Uh, you can connect with this person anonymously for a longer period of time if you know if you want to go beyond a week or so, and it moves in stages. So it's it's a little bit different than just you know somebody popping on your screen and you developing a relationship with them in that manner as opposed to going to one of the major compatibility sites that um, we hear advertised on TV and radio uh, more often. But as Dr. Terry said, the, the, the key is to um, be very cautious with your information. And um, one question I'd like to ask you, Dr. Terry, what do you think about in terms of um, background checks on people that you happen to meet online? Oh, I think that any additional checks, whether they be background checks, whether they be Google searches, <laughs> whether they be any kind of checks on the person are fine. Mm -hmm. The more information that you can get about someone, the better able you are to make a decision if you want to continue chatting with this person, if you want to talk on the phone with this person, and eventually if you want to meet them face-to-face. -face. I think the more information you have, the better. So, I, I, you know, I think background checks are fine. You don't have to go to that extreme. There are many search engines on the Internet as well that you can use to also search information about this person. And to remember as well, when you decide you don't want to chat to, with someone, don't. You don't have to feel, I think as women we feel guilty if we stop chatting, or even if somebody wants to chat with us and we don't want to chat with them, I think part of the milieu or part of the atmosphere of these online dating sites is that you cannot take rejections personally. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say anything about you. So as women, I think we have to really focus on that. So if we get two, three, four messages and we don't want to answer one or any of them because of whatever reason, it's okay. So if you ever do a background check or you ever check someone out or you ever get that gut level feeling or that red flag that you don't want to talk anymore with this person, it's okay. And then on the other extreme, there are those who end up getting married and yes. definitely be able to benefit from your five steps to picking relationships from good to great. And I know... We worked through a few of them. I, we talked about expect less, get more from your partner, um, just briefly touched on give incentives and rewards. And the third is have daily briefings for improved communication. The fourth is implement change. And the fifth is keep costs low and benefits high. So, Dr. Terry, you can start wherever you'd like and just get into any of those points a little more deeply before we end the show. 
Well, thank you so much. Well, I'll start with the third step, which I think is so very important. I think most couples think that they're communicating with one another. And in fact, if you ask people, are you communicating with your partner? Most would say yes. But what they're really doing is they're talking about how to manage the household and manage the family. So they're talking about who's going to pick up the kids after school, who's going to write mom, who's going to pay the bills. And in a romantic relationship, that is not communication. Communication is where you share intimate details, goals, thoughts, and feelings. So what I found is that the happy couples in my study practice the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule is every single day talking to your partner for at least 10 minutes about something other than work, family, who's going to do what around the house, or your relationship. So those four topics are out. You cannot talk about them. (laughs) Now, a lot of people say, oh, no. What am I going to talk about? Right, exactly. (laughs) Now, that's a clue. That's a big clue if that's your response because that really means that you have not been communicating, sharing intimate details about your life and about your dreams and goals to your partner. But I provide lists of ideas in my book of what to talk about from what are you most proud of to if you won the lottery, Where would you travel to and why? These are the questions that really get at your partner, really get you to understand and intimately know your partner. 98% of the happy, happy couples in my study said they intimately knew their partner's worlds and lives. And that meant they were asking questions. So 10 minutes every single day. This is really simple. It's really easy, and once you implement it into your relationship, I promise that you will see a huge change in the happiness and the comfort in your relationship. And if you don't know someone's hopes and dreams, you definitely don't know the person. Absolutely, but I think what happens is that we get so busy We think we know their hopes and dreams because we ask them at the beginning, but then we get really busy and stressed and we're working and we're taking care of kids that we forget to check in and ask them if those hopes and dreams have changed. And oftentimes they do. So that's why the 10-minute rule is so very important and to do it every single day. But I agree with you. If you don't, then you really don't know that person. Hmm. Now, step if you number mean change, how do yes, you implement change? It's all about change. Well, the most common question I get is what happened to all the excitement and the passion in my relationship? And what we find is that couples start out in their relationships high passion, high excitement. But inevitably, in all romantic relationships, that passion and excitement declines. So it says nothing about your partner or you, or your relationship. After about 18 months, the excitement declines. And that has to do with the process or the stages of a relationship. So what you need to do is implement change into your relationship in order to reignite that passion, in order to get out of that rut 
that you might be feeling, that same old, same old with your partner. And there are three ways to do it. One is newness, two is mystery, and three is arousal-producing activities. So what do I mean by newness? Do anything new with your partner. Join a new class, a salsa dance class with your partner. Go to a new restaurant. Share a new bottle of wine. Newness adds passion and it mimics the beginning of your relationship. Second, okay. mystery. Do anything that's surprising or different. Uh, call your partner up in the middle of the day and say, let's play hooky and go to a movie. Anything that your partner says, whoa, that was really surprising, that was different, will add a little excitement and add a little passion. And three, arousal-producing activities. Arousal-producing activities are anything that increases adrenaline and increases the arousal in your body. And this is clean, don't worry. <laughs> what I mean is exercise together with your partner, go watch a scary movie, even go on a roller coaster ride at an amusement park. All of those activities increase adrenaline, increase arousal. And if you do the activity with your partner, that arousal or adrenaline rush will get transferred to your relationship and your partner and will get you out of the relationship rut and add a little newness, I mean, add a little excitement and passion to your relationship. That's great. So that's all about change and knocking your partner off balance and trying to get more passion and getting out of those relationship ruts. Because by the way, all of us experience those ruts in our our relate all of us experience those ruts in our relationship. Yeah, I mean if you're walking down the same path and you keep walking on it over and over and over, it's going to become a rut, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, part same. of that sameness is wonderful, right? We like and we um, feel secure. But yeah. part of the sameness also is the rut and staying in the rut gets us to ask questions about why isn't this more exciting? So you can enjoy the security at the same time that you implement a little newness, mystery, or arousal-producing activities to get that change into your relationship. And the final step is all about focusing, as we talked about earlier, on the positives. In order to really get your relationship to the stage of greatness, to where it's exceptional, you need to focus and strengthen what's already going well. And once you begin to strengthen and focus the positive on the positive, the costs or the negatives don't seem to be as big, and it's much easier then to deal with the costs or to deal with the problems in your relationship because that motivation and that positivity really allows you to feel good and positive about your relationship, so then it's easier to deal with the negatives. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Terry. Would you please provide your contact information one more time, and then we'll get into our closeout with a quote. So if you have one for us, you can just follow that up with behind your contact information. Yes, and, and how can we 
um, get a copy of your book so that we can follow through. And also, I noticed on your website that you have um, many sessions. How can we um, get involved with those activities as well? Excellent. Thank you um, for giving me the opportunity to talk about everything. My website is drterrythelovedoctor.com, D-R-T-E-R-R-I, thelovedoctor.com. And in my, on my website, as you mentioned, I have many one-on-one sessions where you can just click and get a session with me where you ask me a question and I respond by answering the question. You can also see that I write a Psychology Today regular blog, a Huffington Post regular blog. I'm on SeniorPeopleMeet.com. And my book, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great, is available at all bookstores, online bookstores, as well as your local bookstore. It's a wonderful, great book. It's easy to read, and it's all about, here's my quote, Simple changes to make your relationships happy. Relationships are not hard work. It's just regular work, simple changes. Thank you, Dr. Terry. We have really benefited from you being here today, and we thank you for spending the time with us this evening. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Sky, do you have a quote? Yes, I do. Um, Let's see. To know when to go away and when to come closer is the key to any lasting relationship. And this is from Domenico Sieri Estrada. Okay. I have one on love and relationships. It's from Meditations on Love and Relationships. When you meet anyone, remember it is a holy encounter. As you see him, you will see yourself. As you treat him, you will treat yourself. As you think of him, you will think of yourself. Never forget this, for in him you will find yourself or lose yourself. Oh, that's very true. (laughs) You've been listening to Cis Internet Radio. This is Sisters in Spirit. You can go to our blog at www.fluidmagazine.com. You can um, find out more information about Dr. Terry there. You can also respond to other blog items that are out there as well as ask questions and let us know about other topics you'd like to hear about in the future. Our next show will be July 8th, and we'll be talking about organic gardening and building up your garden to help you be self-sufficient. Wonderful. Thank you again, Dr. Terry. You've been listening to Dr. Terry Orbach. Dr. Terry, thelovedoctor.com. Did I say that correctly, Dr. Terry? (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And it's been a wonderful show. Thank you again for spending your evening with us. Thank you all to the listeners out there and those of you on both online and on the phone. Thank you for joining us. And until the next time, remember to infuse harmony into your everyday living. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to This Internet Radio. Until the next time, enjoy the fluid flow of life by remembering to infuse harmony into your everyday living.